Season 1, Episode 38, Pete's Podcast, Bible Story Evangelism, James Chapter 3. So, James Chapter 3, Verse uh, 1. Well, let me go back to James. I want to kind of introduce a little words of introduction here. James Chapter 1, Verse 1. I think really sets answers two great um, important questions, homiletic, hermeneutical questions. Homiletics is is preaching. Uh, hermeneutics is the study of the study of the Bible, and two very important uh, hermeneutic questions. They just love big words. Sorry, but. Two important questions to ask in the study of the Bible is who's talking and who's he talking to or who's she talking to. Um, James chapter 1 verse 1 answers that question. It answers who's talking and to whom they're talking, which is very important. Number one, James is talking to or James is doing the talking, a servant of God. I'm going to say that I lean towards James the Less, the first cousin of Jesus Christ. His mother, James's mother, and whose name happened to be Mary, and Jesus' mother's whose name happened to be Mary, uh, were, were sisters, making them first cousins. At any rate, um, the other choice is James, the son, James and John, James, the son of Zebedee, which was in the inner three and would be a logical choice. But uh, I'm just going to leave that. That study is, unless it comes from references in the Bible, um, is pretty much extra biblical. James, a servant, but I'm going to, well, never mind. James, uh, the second part I'm going to, to address, um, to whom it's written, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Okay, the twelve tribes are the Jewish believers. That's why this is called the first epistle to the to the church. And called out assembly. The word assembly occurs quite quite often in James chapter uh, James in the book of James. Um, scattered abroad. This would be the scatter from Nero, uh, the persecution of believers. Uh, Titus scattered Jews corporately in AD 70 when he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Rome was just tired of putting up with the chaos of, of, uh, of Jerusalem, so they de- destroyed it. And this is where the people, the Jewish people, scattered to all around the world. Just, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, they were, they they said that there are more people living in Israel today than in the United States, which it took a long time for them to, to get back. They got their country in 48, I think, and um, they were celebrating uh, their 50th anniversary a few years ago. Anyway, um, or their 70th anniversary, whatever it was, 48 to 18. Sounds like 70th, 70th anniversary. Anyway, um, my brethren in James chapter 1, 
Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It makes sense if it's written to the twelve tribes. It's before the fall of the temple. It's before a lot of scholars, and this is extra-biblical, make the argument that it was one of the earliest epistles written. You can get all different kinds of views on that, but the one that I've seen most of, I was looking at it yesterday online, is that James is one of the first epistles written. Now you've got gospels that were written earlier, or at least one gospel that was written earlier. Um, and, and the dates of their writings is a little bit um, debatable. And uh, But we can take that James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, we can take that to mean exactly what it says, as we can every verse. But we have to study to rightly divide it. And so sometimes this extra-biblical stuff helps us to do that. And um, uh, it's put out by a scholar that this is, I've been calling it Christianity 101, it's the first epistle to the church, which was epistles were pretty much written to the churches, to by Paul and Peter and James and John and James, John and Jude, six writers of epistles, eight writers of the New Testament. Uh, we really don't call Acts an epistle; we write it more of a church history or the Acts of the Apostles. But then, starting with uh, Romans the first epistle that's recorded in the canon of the Bible, um, given that place of prominence because it, it deals with such important uh, issues that, and it's the longest book, epistle book. Maybe if I said this before and I didn't check it out, First and Second Corinthians might be longer if you put them together. But uh, they were written in two different times for two different reasons. But... Um, but to the Corinthian church. Okay, so introduction, Christianity 101, um, greeting, testing of your faith, Christianity 101, uh, hearing and doing the word, uh, pretty much Christianity 101, new believers, I trusted Christ, I didn't know anything about serving the Lord or uh, you know, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together and going to church. And I mean, although I went to church my whole life, I I started going as a believer. And in respect to my parents, I continued to go to their church, but I also went to my church. And they came with me at least once um, to my church, trying to find out what I was so crazy about. All right, chapter two: uh, the sin of prejudice, the sin of partiality. But here, technically, it's the respect of persons with regard to money, um, not quote-unquote race, which is, by the way, a social issue. There is only one race, the human race, and I've told you, uh, I've talked about that before. But um, here it's talking about being partial in churches about wealthy people and poor people not so much. But I tell you what, I think we should honor and lift up the 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 unusual the I've used the word odd in the last three cat podcasts but there are some people that in all the good churches I've ever been to for the last forty eight years there's been some people that I would call different 
a little bit. Um, challenged maybe in some ways or another. Um, but, but essential to the church. And they should be honored. And they should be respected and guided when, you know, we've, when they, you know, do something that's not appropriate, just like any older Christian should guide a younger Christian uh, in what's, what, you know, you can say or what you can wear or something like that. I was just thinking of a guy one time wore a Playboy, you know, bunny uh, t-shirt to church and somebody, a very nice, mature lady said, you know, very nicely, uh, that's that's not appropriate. So um, uh, anyway, we should treasure these people and treat them with the utmost respect. And because, as it says here, they're rich in faith. Hearken unto me, beloved brother, and hath God chosen the poor of this world? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Okay, again, I talked about that before uh, yesterday. Um, If you love me, keep my commandments. But at the same time, you know, lift up the the poor. Um, You have respect to him that is gay clothing, but say unto him that sit... Uh, verse 2, or chapter 3, uh, chapter 2, verse 3 of James, Sit thou here in a good place, but say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are ye not partial of yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken unto, hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not the rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? That's, you know, these sound like rich lost people, but um, because the best way to, (laughs) the best way to blaspheme Jesus Christ, that doesn't sound right, but anyway, I'll let it stand. The best way to blaspheme Jesus Christ is to deny his deity, deny his ability to, um, uh, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justi- to justify the ungodly, his ability to justify the ungodly, to unjustify, to justify yourself. Uh, those people are lost. Um, thou shalt... Um, but, um, but if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you be a respecter of persons, you commit and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So anyway, don't be partial in your churches. Christianity 101. I'm going to stick with that. It means basic Christianity. Faith without works is dead. Fundamental to the doctrine of Christ, Hebrews 6.1, is the is eternal judgment. And there are three eternal judgments. Well, five eternal judgments. 
Christ on the cross for all sin, that's the gateway to heaven. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for what did he believe? That, that his seed would be a blessing to the whole world, that he would give birth to the Messiah. It says in Hebrews that he, he offered Isaac because he thought God would raise him from the dead. He thought he was, Isaac was, the physical Messiah that was going to pay for the sins of the whole world. And God stopped him and said, no, uh, I'll provide myself a sacrifice. Anyway, um, then you've got uh, the two judgments. The next two judgments are uh, the church, the, the, the Jewish believers during the tribulation, which are the nation of Israel, uh, the 144,000. I'm not saying that all Jews trust the Lord during the tribulation. I don't think they probably do. And, and I'm not saying that all Gentiles during the tribulation don't. But I am saying that the tribulation starts with all unbelievers because the believers are raptured out to begin. Could happen today. Could happen 100 years from now. I'm not setting a date. But I'm just going to talk to people about the Lord as much as I can uh, between now and my death or my rapture, whichever comes first. Okay, so uh, then you have the judgment uh, the judgment seat of Christ, which is what James chapter 2 is talking about in heaven. What, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Uh, the verse right before 2.14 is 2.13. What shall we say? What sh- For he shall have judgment. We're talking about judgment here in the context. Without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So, anyway, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a fair judgment of what you did, good and bad. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer for the good and bad that we've done. That's a paraphrase. I didn't memorize that verse. But you can look it up. It's Paul, either in Romans or the Corinthians. I I think it's in both. But... um, but at the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of believers for reward in heaven, not for punishment, not for sin, because that was paid for by Jesus Christ. So the sin has counted for the believer. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So for the believer, sin has been taken care of by Christ, and it counts for their, for them through faith. And... The only thing left is the the good that we've done, and possibly the bad would would diminish our reward as well. Um, anyway, the good and bad. It's kind of like picking a, a four teams for the college football playoff. Got to look at their record. Got to look at their wins, their losses, and pick the the four that are going to get to play. Okay, whatever. Um, but it's going to be done perfectly, unlike all the controversy about uh, college playoffs. Sorry, I digress. But this is the Bema seat. This is more in common with the Olympics than it is, you know, a court of law where you go to prison or worse. Um, this is not worse. This is good. And and if you're there, like I said yesterday, your, precip- your participation trophy for believing in Christ is eternal life in heaven with God forever and all the other believers. If you have only wood, hay, and stubble, no gold, silver, and precious stones, you will be saved yet so as by fire. Look it up. I've got that. I'm working on memorizing that, but I, the address is I need to work on them. Anyway, um, 
You can look it up. All right, you'll be saved yet so as by fire. If you have nothing to show for your life as a believer, you'll still be saved. Okay, so this introduction is taking a little longer than I wanted to. So now I'm just going to jump into uh, James chapter 3, Christianity 101 continued, taming the tongue. Christianity 101, basics of Christianity. First epistle to the church. The Jewish church at this point. The Gentiles haven't even got into the mix yet. That happens in Acts 13, with which I covered a few podcasts ago, with Paul's uh, sermon at Antioch in Central Asia Minor, which became the missionary church of all missionary churches. They sent out missionaries from Antioch. A Gentile church. Read Acts 13 again. Okay, um... So, wisdom from above. Wisdom, pretty important for new believers. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. I love electricity, but I'm also respectful when I work on it. I like air conditioning. I like heat. I like all the stuff that electricity gives us. It's a great thing. Uh, If you believe it came about in evolution, that's fine. There's no design here. They talk about design all the time. Evolutionists talk about design all the time. The design is evolution, which is ridiculous. How does that come up with the, with the uh, 15 uh, basic laws of physics? I'm sorry, the basic scientific constants of physics, Planck's constant, the universal gravitational constant. There's 15 of them. Anyway, at least on a TI-83 there are. And we used every one of them in my physics class. But anyway... Um, So wisdom is above all. So we're going to take a look at controlling the tongue. Good luck. And wisdom from above. You know, I think a good rule, and it's probably right here in James, is to to never talk when you're angry. (laughs) I think that's going to come up here. Um, The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Okay, let's go. So open your Bible to James chapter 3, verse 1. And if you want to follow along verbatim, it's King James Bible, but it's just as well in any other. And I can hit a button here and put four Bibles next to each other, but I like the whole page to read from. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing you shall receive the greater condemnation. And I misquoted that. I misread that. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we, James is including himself, we shall receive the greater condemnation. And I say as a teacher of 33 years, two in a public school and, and 31 at Florida Christian, and, and towards the end of my career getting to teach a lot more Bible classes, nothing but Bible classes, that, that was a great gift from God to do that. In fact, I taught James verse by verse, and I thought, oh boy, am I going to have trouble. Not a lick of trouble. Four freshman classes, some of them very much different in background than me, but still, they could not, and trust me, ninth graders will give you a hard time if there's a possibility of doing it, but they couldn't because I, I, kept, I, I personally try to keep the argument between the listener and the Bible. What does this verse say? Not what my opinion is. Not what somebody else's opinion is. If I do give you somebody else's opinion, I'll call it extra-biblical. But what's but 
the words in the Bible are powerful. And uh, I told you before, the titles, the, the chapters, uh, it would just have the person's name. It wouldn't, the chapters are not inspired. The verse numbers are not inspired. And there's other things that they add, but they usually identify them. In, in the Bible I'm looking at right now, even though it's King James, like taming of the tongue, that's, that's, that's just somebody's commentary on this section. And I, I think it's useful. But uh, it is extra biblical. So if you don't like that terminology, then you can call it something else. My brethren, be not many teachers. And, and the American Standard Version uses the word teachers there. If you look it up in the Greek, uh, it says teacher. It, uh, knowing that um, we called the head of our school the headmaster. So anyway, um, it's an old English word that means teacher. My brethren, be not many teachers, knowing you shall receive the greater condemnation. Getting to teach those ninth graders, four times I taught James chapter 3. Four times in a row. And by the third and fourth time, I had all my questions answered. And I went back each day. I went back. Like, I'll go back after listening to this. And I'll make any corrections that I need to make. that I, Mistakes I made or, or, or assumptions I made that weren't correct. And so I've got a little of that going on here because I'll listen to it and I'll use the first part of the next uh, episode, which would be episode 39. I'll use that to make any corrections that I of glaring errors that I make in this. Anyway, okay, James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing you shall receive the greater condemnation. Teaching those verses the way I did, I really got an insight into the Word of God. Because there's nothing like teaching. Never is your focus so in, so focused. Your focus is so intense. Your, your thought process is 100% on what you're reading and what you're saying. It has to be. It's a great opportunity. And God holds the Bible teacher accountable for having that opportunity to learn the Word of God. But first of all, you've got to be a believer. And second of all, you've got to elevate the Word of God to the highest level. I, I always made the Word of God on my PowerPoint 32-point. They say your number of points should be equal to the number of people you have watching. But I see people that put their words bigger and bolder than they do the actual Word of God. Sometimes you can't even read the Word of God. It's so small. The auditorium's so big and the Word is so small. That I like black letters on white. This is the Word of God. It doesn't need our embellishment our uh, uh, Dark Age Enlightenment, or whatever they used to call when they wrote, they scribbled all around the borders of the Bible. You don't need to do that. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, you know, I, I want wide margins so I can take notes. I have a wide margin, wide margin old Schofield Bible in front of me right now, and I use the margins to put notes. That's how I learned to study the Bible 48 years ago. Okay, well, I'm ready to leave verse 1. I think teachers receive the greater condemnation because they have a greater chance to learn. And you gotta, you got to learn what you're teaching and, and do what it says if you're a teacher. You're telling other people to do it. You ought to do it yourself. For, if, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a complete man, a perfect man, and is able to bridle the whole body. Um, he's going to go on to say that we, we sure have a hard time bridling our tongue. That's where he's headed here. If you never offend anybody, 
with your tongue, I would like to meet you. And I know some people do it less than others, and they are usually our leaders, our, our people that bring people together and get stuff done. They offend people less. And, and unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. But on the other hand, I'm in the trenches, so if you don't like my peaches, don't shake my tree. Anyway, uh, behold, we put bits in horses' mouths. You know why we put bits in horses' mouths? It hurts the horse. You can make them, uh, it's called mouth sore. By, you know, if you're, you're a young person, you don't know anything about horses, and you're always pulling on the bit, those ears are going to go back. That means the horse is angry, and it's going to throw you off and run home if you, if you don't know what you're doing. But it, it is painful to the horse, and so it responds to that. I'm sorry, but that's how it works. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that we may, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body with this little tiny bit, is the point here. Verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. Also, but behold also the ships, which though they be so great, thousands of feet long today, and are driven by fierce winds, which is a big deal when you got a thousand foot boat and these really super high uh, uh, tourist boats, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor or driver dis list listeth, wants to, decides. Now we used to have rudders, but now on ships, I'm kind of interested in this, they use electric engines and pods very expensive on the bottom, which actually turn. So they can turn to the port. They can turn, they can turn, reverse, they swing them all the way around. They have thrusters on them. Excuse me. <coughs> so uh, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. A spark can can ignite, you know, stuff and, and kindling and stuff like that, and uh, start a fire. And a spark is about as small as you get, which I think is chemical, which has to do with the electrons around the atoms. Uh, that is a certain kind of energy. Much, much less than the energy that involves the other atomic particles, subatomic particles of the neutrons and protons uh, that uh, have binding energy. That's nuclear power, which is uh, a lot more bang for the buck. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, study modern physics. Anyway, um, but a little, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Verse 6 of chapter 3. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. So is the tongue among our members. That it defileth the whole body. It's not what goes into the body that defiles the body. It's what comes out of it, the words you say. The words we say. Okay, uh, and the tongue is a fire, 
a world of iniquity and the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, even though it's percentage-wise it's very small, and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Okay, so words are important uh, spiritually, uh, physically, emotionally, uh, in every way, socially. But the tongue can no man tame. There it is right there. So good luck. Um, if any man offend not in word, uh, verse 2, I knew this was coming because, you know, verse 2 says, hey, there's some guy out there that's offended not in word. But right down here it says, but the tongue can no man tame. So I would say Jesus Christ is the only one, well, um, that didn't sin with his tongue. L let me put it that way. It is, he might have offended a few people, but, you know, sometimes that's not a bad thing. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If, you know, they don't go to a special hell for offended people. If they're not trusting Christ and they're offended by the gospel of the grace of God, then offend them and you're, you're trying to do them a favor. But, um, anyway, uh, verse 7. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed. I'm, I'm surprised that this, this is, what, 2,000 years old, this writing? They had a Shamu in the, then they were training killer whales to jump out of the water and stuff. I, that's what I think of when I think of, of things in the sea. But maybe they were just having seals balance balls on their nose. I don't know. But of every kind of beast, of bird, of serpent, of things in the sea, tamed, that been tamed of mankind. So man is, can tame every, according to this, every kind of beast, of birds, of serpents, of things of the seas, is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. Verse 8. But the tongue, no man tame. But the tongue can no man tame. I leave words out. I left out the word can. But the tongue can no man leave. It is an unruly evil. Full of deadly poison. Ouch. Verse 9. Therefore, bless we, therewith, therewith the tongue, with the tongue, bless we God, even the Father. And therewith, therewith we curse men, which are made after the solemnitude of God, after the similarity of their Created in the image of God. <coughs> is what he's saying. Excuse me. Chap uh, chapter 3 verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren. My Christian. My newly believing Christian brothers. And James at the writing of this. Has probably been a Christian for 25 or 30 years. But there are new Christian believers that are scattered, and he's sending, writing the first epistle. And these epistles came out. This is one of the first ones. For the, for the first 20 to 30 years, 
the apostles were still alive and you could go to ask Peter what you should do about this. Or Paul. Now, Peter and Paul are still alive here. James is is one of the first martyred uh, apostles. Uh, disciples, let me put it that way. Writers of the Bible. Um, this is not, he was not one of the twelve apostles. I don't think James the less was. These things ought not to be so. What? That out of the mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, my Christian friend, these things ought not to be so. Christianity 101. The basics of Christianity here. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet, water, and bitter? Verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, written to believers, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. Okay, the last section here, 13 to 18, is wisdom from above. Again, Christianity 101. If you're going to any other place than the Bible to get wisdom, which begins with the fear of the Lord, uh, you're you're going for man's wisdom, wisdom of the world, and there's plenty of that, streetwise, but, you know, be, be, be harmless as a dove and wise as a serpent, but at the same time. Uh, Psalm 13, Psalm 313. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Now that old English word there, conversation, means manner of life. And I'm sure other Bibles would translate it that way. If you're reading from another Bible, you would get that. (coughs) I apologize for the cough. Let him show out of a good conversation his works in meekness and wisdom. It, It called Moses one of the meekest men that ever lived. But at the same time, if you study uh, management, which I, I got a degree in University of Southern California in the, in, with in the degree of, uh, a master's in systems management, management studies, they go back to Moses, who set up leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of tens, which the army would call battalions, companies, and squads. For management purposes, for getting the job done. So uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, meekness. And then don't mistake it with weakness, with meekness of wisdom. And just because we know stuff doesn't mean we have to act better than others. We can be humble at the same time. And it's uh, knowledge makes us proud. I think there's a verse that says that. You have to look it up. Um, Verse 14. But if we have bitter envying and strife, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not about all you know and how wise you are. 
and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Verse 16. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Wow, I, I am very convicted. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and in the context it had to do with money, but it could be discrimination, national, national discrimination, <coughs> whatever the case may be. Um, and without hypocrisy. As teachers, you should do what you're teaching. Uh, especially if it's from the Word of God. I don't know. If you're teaching something false, you might want to rethink that. Last verse of chapter 3. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace with them that make peace. So, if your ministry is a lot of screaming and yelling at people, you might want to th rethink that. I don't know. I'll let you be the judges of that. I know I get excited, but I'll let you judge whether I'm a, a peacemaker or not. I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't feel like one. Sometimes the, the biggest problem I have with making peace is my pride. And here it is right here. Um, pride. Uh, meekness is, is the opposite of pride. Not a, it's not weakness, it's, it's just doing what needs to be done because it needs to be done, or saying what needs to be said because it needs to be said, not because it makes you feel better or it lifts you up or something like that. Anyway, I'm going to say adios to God, and I'm going to say vaya con Dios, which means go with God. <laughs>